What's up, everyone? It's your marketing host, Lee Moskowitz, bringing you another episode of Lee2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B. Today, I'm speaking with Greg Wise, a founding member of HubSpot's e-commerce team who dove headfirst into the concrete jungle of commercial real estate. Trading screens for streets, he became passionate for real-world advertising and co-founded OneScreen AI in 2020. OneScreen is rewriting the out-of-home industry for both B2B and B2C. Get ready for a ride as Greg spills the bean on merging the crisp metrics of digital marketing with the boots-on-the-ground impact of -of out-of-home advertising on this episode of Lee2B. Hey, Greg. Hey, Lee. How are you? I am good. Thanks so much for being on. Excited to dive into the world of -of out-of-home advertising with you today. I appreciate you having me on uh, on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's my first podcast, my friend. Ooh, well, welcome. Well, this is an easy podcast because mine is like quasi real. I like treat it like a conversation. So yeah, it all goes downhill from here. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Look, I'm an open book. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, so I like to get right into it. Tell us the good stuff about one screen. So one screen is a an out-of-home advertising platform with the mission of building the largest directory of every real-world advertising asset in the world from any vendor, any format, anywhere, um, and applying data to it, both on the front end to properly pick the right inventory to advertise on based on who you're trying to reach, and then, of course, the measurement on the back end. How did my campaign actually work? How did it work towards whatever objective I'm trying to achieve as a marketer? And that piece, I'm sure we'll touch on it, is a very important element to out of home that hasn't really existed before. Yes, yes. So, I mean, before we get into any further, out of home, like, yes, that's the billboards, but there are bus wraps, there are bus, there are malls. what's, What's in the out of home umbrella? It's actually one of the things that fascinated myself and my co-founders when we started this. When we started learning about the industry, quite frankly, there are so many different forms of out of home formats. Um, think the traditional billboards that you see every day on the highway, and then think of the bus shelters you see, think of a bus bench, think of the, air, the, the airport ads. Think of an aerial banner you see when you're at a sporting event or a concert or you're at the beach. Uh, anything in the physical world that has an advertising on or has advertising on it could be deemed out of home advertising, mm-hmm. which means that there's a ton of different formats, ton of different owners of those formats, and also creates a lot of fragmentation. And all those formats can be used in different ways. So I, I actually <laughs> started early on in my career at an out of home agency. They were, so they were out of home and marketing. Shout out Ronnie Ram at Inspiria Outdoor. So I actually know a bit about it because I didn't do any of the outdoor advertising myself. I was on on the marketing side, the digital side. So I was working with the digital marketing clients, but I was also literally doing the advertising for our agency. So I was the person on Google ads being like, hey, someone's searching for an outdoor advertising agency. Let's put them here. Someone's searching for bus wraps. Let's put that here. And then like we were the the middleman. So like we would work with the outfronts of the world. Sure. Uh, the JC to Coast. But yeah, that's that's where I started early on. So so I have I have some insight there, but and I usually save the juicy stuff for my spill the tea segment later, but okay. I wanna go right into 
almost like I'll call it the elephant in the room. We'll yeah. use that cliche. But like, where is out of home advertising? What's that place in B two B marketing? Because and and I'll ask one more thing. Because like, I get it for the hub spots of the world, the sales forces who can smack a campaign on a bus and like be like, yeah. Uh, but and, and I also get it for trade shows too a lot, and I want to mm-hmm. touch into that. But a lot of B two B marketers are like out of home advertising. Why would I do that? You know, it's interesting. I was listening to your first podcast with Evan, and Evan had an anecdote. He was talking about B two B marketers need to learn from some of the B two C marketers that have effectively mm-hmm. built networks and communities. And the companies he mentioned are all very active out-of-home investors, meaning that they spend a lot of money in out-of-home campaigns. Um, and that is one way that they've built community. And he mentioned how B2B marketers sort of need to like follow suit. Um, that is part of what we're helping B2B marketers understand. And the B2B marketers, quite frankly, are the folks within the past decade or so that have been so wrapped up in everything has to be a dollar in and $2 out. And if not, can't do it and my job's in jeopardy mm-hmm. out of home is sort of even though out of home is this the oldest medium i guess the ad medium known to man right dating back to even like hieroglyphics it is relatively new for a lot of sophisticated marketers and a lot of those marketers happen to be in the b2b space they don't necessarily realize number one how much it costs number two all the different formats that you mentioned they probably or for the most part anyways they had the same reaction to out-of-home advertising as my as I did, and my co-founders did, and we you know we were HubSpotters, early-stage HubSpot uh, folks. So, um, not knowing much about it, knowing how much it costs, knowing how to measure it, and knowing how it can work not only for things like product announcements, uh, funding announcements, account-based marketing, which is a big one I can touch on, as well as conferences and events. How do you amplify your presence? at a big conference like a Dreamforce or like a, uh, an RSA or AWS reInvent in Vegas, and even a lot of the smaller ones, all of those things aren't necessarily top of mind for B2B market. A lot of them are like, how can we geofence the area around the conference? And I'm like, yes, there's tools for that. You can, you can do some targeting, but let's start with trade shows because I think that's sure. the that's an obvious great use case for people. Let's talk about trade shows and out-of-home advertising. So it's interesting. So this sort of plays into why we think the physical world is the future of marketing, because we saw the pandemic and now we're seeing this sort of resurgence to the, to the real world interaction, people going back to conferences. But that traditional playbook of going to a conference and spending a ton of money on a sponsorship, that's sort of deteriorating a little bit, right? Um, but people still want to have a presence. They still want to provide air cover for the team that's going there. And they still want to generate leads and buzz. So one thing you can do is incorporate physical advertising around an event, sort of amplify and create that immersive surround sound effect, if you will, right? Uh, Where everyone's talking about you, people are coming up to your booth and they're saying, wow, I'm seeing you everywhere. But there's a strategic way to properly do it. And when you think about an event or a conference, this moment in time, you want to understand what is that physical journey of a conference attendee? Are conference attendees coming from in-market? Right? Is, the, is it a big Dreamforce conference in San Francisco? And you get a ton of tech companies that are already there and they're commuting. They're not necessarily flying in. Um, or is it in Vegas where the majority of conference attendees are going to be flying in? And what is that journey from the airport 
to the hotel, to the conference center. Um, we, we take all that into account. And it's really important to have your brand top of mind at those points, at those points, the journey points, if you will, uh, of that audience you're trying to reach. In the case of Vegas, you want to make sure that you're hitting people as soon as they land. And the airport has great inventory. On the way to the particular conference or to the strip, depending on where it is, there are billboards along the way, right? So have you thought about, you know, when you're leaving the airport, making sure that you're, again, top of mind, hey, come visit so-and-so company at booth 44 at the Venetian. Um, and then, of course, when you're on the strip, right, there's a ton of opportunity to create kind of that immersive effect with digital bulletins and spectaculars along the strip and everything in between. So the idea is that journey and being present along that journey for those folks and get people talking about you. And there's even yeah. more you can do. You can wrap cars. You can do LED trucks, things that your competitors are most likely not doing. And you're going to stand out. Yeah. And so this is good. A good segue into digital and still on the trade shows. Cause, yeah. cause back when I was in out of home, yes, digital was there, but it wasn't the scale we have today. So I'm familiar with, it's like, Hey, I want to do bus wraps. Hey, I want to do X. You need to buy a certain package with a certain number of bus shelters included, and you need to commit for a certain amount of time. Has that changed now with, with digital? Like, can I just say, hey, the conference is two days. I only want to advertise for two days. Or do I have to do the whole two weeks or whatever the thing is? That's a great question. So whether it's a conference or a larger campaign um, or with a different objective, if you will, digital certainly plays an important role in being able to do a shorter campaign, shorter time frame. Um, and then, so there's two benefits to this. Uh, one, you can get up and running faster on a digital billboard or a digital LED truck because the actual creative file literally is electronically done um, or moved. Um, and then number two, it can be less expensive because you don't have to commit to a longer time period. Uh, you don't have to necessarily pay for production and printing of a vinyl billboard, for example, right? Um, so you certainly can. Digital inventory has certainly made the flexibility um, much more available to marketers. Absolutely. But static plays an important role. Maybe not for a conference or an event that's three days, but we fully believe that static 100% share of voice out of home will never go away and is the cornerstone. So why why do you believe that? Is, is it just the tangibility of it? Why do you believe this? Because you're betting a lot on this. And I, I saw, by the way, um, we have to, we'll talk about HubSpot later, but yeah. the Brian Halligan co-founder of HubSpot is, is one of your investors and advisors, right? So there, there's really clearly invested. some nice, nice. Yeah. So there's clearly a lot of serious and confidence in this. So so tell us about that. So, I mean, that goes back to part of the origin story, right? Which is, I went into, look, after, after HubSpot, I went into commercial real estate, okay? Being in HubSpot and being in the world of SaaS, it's very technology focused, very progressive, right? And you're talking about the 2010 to 2020. Towards the latter half of, of that decade, I went into commercial real estate because I started to fall in love with the physical world. I was very interested in the physical world and dealing with assets that I could control, move, shape, touch, feel. So I went into commercial real estate and I started to realize how powerful the physical world is and 
Sure. Um, certainly how, uh, you know, successful you could be in that particular world. Um, uh, but the, I also realized, wow, like this is very old school. There's a very old school mentality here, the way people do business, the technology, the systems, the efficiencies, the, the way people get deals done. Even just the and whole media buying and planning process. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So as sort of a part, part of me as a marketer, right? And I started to notice all of these billboards and digital screens and malls and all of these advertising assets, either on top of next to or outside of these physical buildings, right? The real estate. And I realized, while wow, this is very similar. As a marketer, I know nothing about this. And if I know nothing about this, I wonder if there's a world of other folks like me that don't know about this, but how powerful the real world can be, period. And, and, and it was that sort of stark contrast to the world of inbound marketing and everything that we've been doing for the past 10, 15 years in, in the marketing landscape. I think that's part of what, and I want to speak for Brian, but I think that's part of what was intriguing to him and folks like Darmesh and our other mm -hmm. investors, quite frankly, is this shift we're seeing from not a complete shift from digital marketing to real world marketing, um, but the understanding that real world marketing is going to have to be a necessary part of the mix. Yeah. Especially as you see digital marketing become more saturated, right? It's more competitive, it's more costly. And I know this is cliche and it's a buzzword, but we're a little bit digitally exhausted. Oh, we are, yeah. And I think we're all yearning for the physical world and interaction. Yeah. So, so saying that word interaction, I'm going to pick on that. And this is also a good segue with the digital. So sure. when I see a, a static billboard, for example, yeah. there's, there's no interaction, is there? Besides me seeing it. But if I see something, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I see something digital, th there's a potential for some more interactive elements. It could be interactive in either way. I'll give you an example. So, and, and kind of taking a step back, answering your question directly, we look at all those different formats that you, that you mentioned that you rattled off in the beginning of the conversation, serving different purposes within a campaign. You do have large format billboards, right? They're 14 by 48 billboards on major roadways. Those are really going to be your reach drivers. Think about a funnel, a sales funnel, right? Think about that pyramid. That's really going to help drive your reach in the market. But there are different formats to help get people sort of down that funnel, right? Yeah. Each format serves a different purpose. And within each of those formats, there is static and there is digital. And those serve different purposes. Digital is excellent to be able to change out creative, right? So you can leverage different creative for different times of day right? Different days of the week. You could do weather triggers, right? So it becomes very hyper-targeted, hyper-personalized. Static, however, you have a 100% share of voice. Um, you, there is a, uh, it's not only 100% share of voice, but there's a sort of prestige element to it um, where you seem larger than life as a brand, right? And it's sort of like the anchor point to a campaign, uh, that is how you properly like plant the flag in the ground. We are here. Here's our brand. Now within that, within that static billboard or wallscape, you can have a QR code depending on where it's located. It can be interactive. That goes back to my belief that marketing should get back to being creative. Yeah. Um, but depending on where it is, you could certainly uh, uh, leverage a QR code or even a particular offer. 
the digital the digital components to out of home certainly give you the ability to do that more in real time. Um, but they both serve a purpose. Yeah, yeah, and. I think I want to get into ABM a bit because one, when you hear that I perked up, like that's my world. Uh, that, that's where a lot of B2B companies are putting money in now. I am so curious, where does out of home fit into ABM? How does that work? Think about it this way, right? So we'll work with B2B companies. We work with a ton of them. Um, and again, for B2B, conference and events, awareness plays, product launches, funding announcements, as I mentioned. But ABM is a big component of what we do for them. And ultimately... What we do is we help understand, okay, so look, what are the target accounts that you have? Um, where are your target accounts? How are you even thinking about your target accounts? Tier one, tier two, um, what is the objective of these accounts? Is, are we breaking into new accounts, expanding within accounts? Um, talk to me about your sales team. How are, we, how are we reaching out to these folks? What's the mix of inbound and outbound? When we take those target accounts. That's number one. Number two is who is the audience within these target accounts? Who are the people that buy the thing that you sell? So that's where audience plays into this. And then you have the physical point of interest being the actual account itself. So we help them to understand is number one, within a market, how do you actually find your buyers? How do you find your audience? But number two, and I'm gonna to get to how we do this, how do you actually leverage that particular, uh, that particular target, the actual headquarters of the building or of the, uh, of, of the office of the company? Um, and how do you actually marry the two to find the right inventory? So here's how we literally do it. Number one, we have a bunch of audience information that we ingest into our platform, right? So the ability for you as a, a B2B tech company selling to marketers and ideally director or above, um, we can actually filter by uh, things like profession. So trying to find marketing professionals, marketing directors, VPs of marketing, C-suite level. We can even layer in other types of attributes. Household income, uh, tech use, cars you drive, clothes you wear, where you shop, where you eat, things like that. That's step one, right? So we want to target the greater San Francisco market. Well, within the greater San Francisco market, what are the zip codes? What are the pockets that index the highest for that particular audience that you care about reaching and communicating to? That's number one. Number two, what are the target accounts? What are the literal addresses of these target accounts? We will have a geofencing. We have a geofencing tool that essentially we, we, we can create a geofence around a particular target account and identify how people move to and from that point of interest. Wow. Like, literally, the roadways people take to get to and from that particular target account, we can also look at what zip codes they originate from, aka where do they live, all anonymous. None of this is, is personally identifiable information. We also can tell you, because you're naturally, you're going to ask, well, how do we know if they're going back to the office? Cool. We're going to actually tell you what that foot traffic looks like, what those patterns look like over the course of the past week, two weeks, four years, pre-pandemic. Where else do you spend your time and money? Employees that go to this particular target account, where else do they go to shop? Where do they go to eat? Um, where do they spend their time? The idea with out of home is how do you get, how do you reach people where they live, work, they where work and where they play, right? That's it. Um, so, Giving marketers just even the insight that they can do that is oftentimes mind blowing. How do you know where are you tapping? In, are you NSA? Like, how are you tapping into our locations and stuff? I'm where watching is this? you right. I'm watching and listening to you right now. <laughs> um, no, it's all it's all anonymous cell phone signals. Mm. That's it. Um, and this is a lot of data that gets used in 
um, from folks like your live ramps of the world, right? The folks that aggregate a lot of the mobile data, um, a lot of real estate uh, data is used in this way as well. We just believe that if you can marry the two, then finding the right inventory to advertise on becomes much more clear. Mm-hmm. This is the same way they find who murders people because you're always <laughs> carrying your cell phone and they just they just ping it. So <laughs> I figured there's um, more application to it. Yeah. So all right. So ABM account based marketing. Like typically, we have our decision makers. We have our buying committee. That buying committee, maybe if it's a, a big company, maybe if it's a big company, you'll be like eight people. Uh, God willing, in the creek don't rise. But eight people there. Um, are you saying like I can then? find out hey i want to target these eight people and their roots or is it more like hey we're targeting this company and the general decision makers yeah it's more of the latter right so it's not as precise if it was the former it would be more person identifiable information which mm-hmm. we don't do we're not necessarily there yet most abm tools don't right and so we want to find people like those eight people which of course will incorporate those eight people um, but what are the people like them? What is our best shot to be able to influence those eight people um, and people like those eight people? And so the idea is, number one, this also is not a standalone, like in isolation marketing campaign, right? This is also in tandem with other pieces of the mix, right? All, you know, all right, you know, uh, I'll do that one over, but like uh, rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing, right? Um and ultimately, this works in conjunction with the other channels to make it all more effective. Um, but this is the most targeted, precise way that you could possibly target one of those accounts for your team. Yeah, that's cool. So who who is this ideally for then? What account sizes or ICP types? Who Who is, who is this for and who is it maybe not yet ready for? So we've worked with folks with companies that are targeting anyone from engineers to marketers to salespeople, to C-suite executives, to HR professionals, to lawyers, the list goes on and on. We actually have about 2,500 different professions you can filter through uh, in the platform to find the right inventory to target those the proper people. So we really can cater to uh, whoever that audience is. We also will cater to folks that have, look, we have 50 top accounts and that's it. These are giant enterprise companies with big campuses in rural parts of the United States. Perfect. We apply that same exact approach. We find out those headquarters. We look at those roadways. We find those uh, originating zip codes. We do the same thing as we would do if you told me you had 3,000 accounts across the country. So that same methodology applies. It is a very data-driven approach to why we should be selecting this billboard this poster, this digital, you know, this digital bus shelter, uh, so on and so forth. And I think that's, that's probably one screen's difference is, is that data component? Because like you were saying before in digital marketing and ads, everyone is so accustomed to, Hey, we gave Lee $5 for Google ads. What's the cost per click? What's the blah, 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 blah. Like there's, there's a metric, there's a KPI for everything. We got the attribution down. Out of home, I've seen it measured it from impressions to things like eyeballs. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting. The measurement piece was something that blew us away when we first started started doing this and going down this this path and learning how marketers measured it. 
Because our first question was exactly that. It was, how do marketers measure out of home? Because if you can't, even directionally, we're out, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that a sophisticated marketer would even test it. Especially um, coming from e-commerce where you were measuring every single product, every every price, every change in shopping, like everything's metrics there. Those were the most sophisticated marketers, especially the early 2010s. When e-commerce was really ramping up, um, those were absolutely the most sophisticated marketers uh, out there, in my opinion. Um, but absolutely, right? So those folks, and again, it was everything was a, a dollar in has got to be $2 out, right? Otherwise, my job's in jeopardy. However, a lot of those traditional channels aren't working as well. CAC is going up. We get calls. I get inquiries all the time from B2B marketers, D2C, B2C marketers. Look, we've done everything. Our, all of our eggs are in the digital marketing basket, and it's not working as well as it used to. We're shifting towards more traditional channels. That's everything from direct mail, linear TV, as well as out of home. And as I said, linear TV, not just like CTV and all the mm -hmm. hot new trends. This is actually reverting back to some of these old school channels. And it is wild. And out of home fits into that. But out of home is a new channel to people. So giving them the ability to understand the effectiveness of a campaign beyond just impression counts. Because that's what's traditionally been available to you as a marketer, Lee. You do a campaign in Boston, in Nashville, and you buy, and you did this, right? You your company did this, you buy a campaign, you spend $50,000 and you're told you're going to get 20 million impressions. The campaign is over and you get a call as the client and you say, and we say that the, the vendor says you, you got 20 million impressions as a marketer. What the hell do you do with that information? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean for my business? Right? How are those impressions even calculated? Who audits those impressions? How accurate are those impressions? Why does the billboard on the two billboards, same stretch of roadway, have a million, you know, a, a delta of a million impressions. Why is it different? How is that possible, right? Let alone, what does that even mean for my business and my objectives? So what we, we've done is we have a methodology to help marketers directionally understand how a campaign performed and actually generate learnings. Every marketer, the right marketers, want to understand what worked and what didn't. So here's how we do it which is imagine you're on a billboard on the 101 or the billboard on 95. Um, we create a customized, what we call a view shed, a radius in front of that billboard, in front of that bus shelter, where a human being in a car or a human being walking would be able to actually view, would be able to see that particular ad. We can capture a percentage of the mobile IDs associated with those people. That's the first step. Number two is we're issuing you, Lee, a pixel. The pixel goes on your homepage. It goes on a potential thank you page, right? It's just a pixel tracker that goes on the back end of, of the website. Ideally, that's on the back of the homepage as well as whatever conversion page you have, a demo request, contact us page. For D2C customers, it's the thank you for your order page, aka you made a purchase. We then will match those mobile IDs back to an IP address. And we can actually look within a 3, 7, 14, 21 day look back window, whether or not that mobile ID actually fired one of those pixels. Wow. Okay. Now and we're I talking. Think, yeah. And so it actually look at, you know, not only web visitation, but also like through conversion and tie it back to the individual format, like the piece of inventory itself. So that billboard on the one-on-one in San Francisco, 
between this on-ramp and this off-ramp, this latitude and this longitude, compared to how this billboard performed in this spot, compared to how this bus shelter performed here. That's amazing. So saying it back to you, too, because I want to make yeah. sure. I get it. So you put some base code on the site, and then you put uh, a different rule or special code on that conversion page. And then it tells you, of those people who were in the vicinities of your of your outdoor ads, when and what route? Yes. Or, 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 damn. Well, yeah. So the, of those people, right? And again, we can't capture 100% of the audience. Right. So I use the word directionally, and we like to be very, very intentional about, about telling our customers this. Directionally speaking, we will tell you, because we don't, we don't model this out. We don't extrapolate any data. We don't believe in that nonsense, okay? Because you do that, you start to get into this like gray area of, oh, well, if all of these scenarios happened, it means that you would have gotten all of this ROI. It's like, no, we're going to tell you literally, here are all the mobile IDs that we're able to capture. X percent of the people that went by this billboard or these billboards during the campaign length, right? Of those, here's how many visits to the website you received and here's how many conversions. There's also a control group. So that's the test group. There's a control group as well. Um, that control group is a lookalike audience in the same area. That's the audience that was not exposed to the ad. That way you can look at what that test group, what that lift is for the test group over the baseline, over the control group. That again has never been accessible to marketers yeah, in this medium. And B2B marketers absolutely love it because it's actually important for them. It's meaningful to them. The other thing is we truly believe in being a partner in that measurement conversation. So we certainly can provide the data that we have, the data that we're capable of. Uh, but we also want to understand, Lee, what are you seeing on your end, right? right. We typically like to, to get uh, edit or read-only access to GA. We like to be a partner there, help you analyze what's going on in Google Analytics over the course of the campaign, pre, during, post. Um, but we also just want to be a partner and understand how, else your, how did your other marketing pieces work, right? What are you seeing on the lead gen side? What are you seeing for opportunities created by your sales team? What are you seeing by you know, conversions by your sales team? Things like that. Yeah, and so many many B two B companies also are using tools to track the IPs and say hey, this IP is likely this person out of this company. So I, my evil genius brain, my evil brain's thinking like, okay, we're gonna use this. We're gonna get this person the the mobile ping near this outdoor ad. Wait, I can go in my ABM or website tool now and see, hey, this person came at the same time from this company at this billboard and I can kind of combine that. Like there's so much opportunity here. I'm just, I'm just spitting. There is. And that's where we're, that's where we're heading to. We absolutely are. Um, is it's the opportunity to combine all those, all those channels in one cohesive view, if you will. But so are, are marketers coming to you or cause, cause many B2Bers aren't looking for outdoor advertising. Are, are your clients, Typically, like they were already looking for outdoor advertising, or they found your education or capabilities some other way. That's such a great question, and that's part of our mission. Honestly, is to create an education platform. Period. Because it is still sort of this unknown medium, and I like again, it goes back to this has been around for such a long time, and you were in it, which means Lee, like you have such a leg up. There are so many marketers who 
quite literally have no idea how to get on that billboard that they see and what it means to properly do an out-of-home campaign. So we do. We talk to folks that are already doing out-of-home that see an opportunity to do it a little bit more efficiently, more data-driven, and more measurable, right? We solve for that. Um, And we have more transparency into how we plan a campaign and measure it. Number two, we work with a ton of folks who have never done it before. And there's a big educational uh, element to that process that um, we like, we lean into, quite frankly, um, is to teach people how to do it the right way. Uh, We truly, sounds crazy, we will not do a campaign if we don't believe it's going to be successful. Because so many marketers are going to say, we're testing this out. Greg, this Mm -hmm. is a a channel we have to test out. We have to make sure it doesn't have to be direct ROI, right? We realize that we're shifting away from this, you know, finance sort of approach, but it has to have like, it has to work a little bit, but we only have X amount of dollars and we want to do this market and we want to get up and running really, really quickly. You know what? That's going to be too rushed that you're not, you know, the, the budget is not proper for that particular market for that for particular uh, objective that you have for the business. And thus us taking that and doing that deal is not going to make you successful in a uh, participant in out-of-home long-term, which is the goal. We want to make this part of an evergreen strategy for marketers, for any marketer in any vertical. Yeah. Wow. So one that is is a great differentiator, uh, just knowing that you're not going to take a campaign on that you don't think is successful, but two, that also kind of helps establish your, your product as as more legit so you're not taking on the people who aren't really going to measure it but what you were kind of describing before too on the education component yeah is like hub kind of the hubspot approach with inbound marketing and the inbound methodology where hubspot defined in inbound marketing taught about that and expanded so you're i feel like you're kind of taking it from your knowledge of hubspot a little bit i can't help it yeah. They did it the right way. Brian, Darmesh, and team. I mean, I worked for and with some brilliant people who paved the way, um, you know, paved the way for a lot of folks um, that have built companies, um, that have grown companies. And one thing you're 100% right in is that they built that community. Mm-hmm. They, they built that authoritative community. They own the narrative around inbound marketing. It was all about just teaching being on the side of the table of the marketer, right? Of the business owner um, and understanding like what it's like to actually walk in their shoes, right? And, and, and talking about that, that's exactly what we're looking to do with out-of-home advertising is why, right? Why, how, um, not just about use us, use us, use us. Yeah. This is truly about educating people, Lee, who uh, don't know much about it. You know, and it, and it's the physical world, as simple as it seems, can be really complicated. One of my biggest lead sources at, at the out of home agency, and again, going years back, but it was like uh, we made some ebook about the top 10 myths of outdoor advertising and like what to know. And boom, that was such a gigantic lead source and then converter because it wasn't like, here why we're awesome, here's why it's important for you. So yeah, adding that in the B2B context, I think that's such a, a big potential. And you look at some of these companies and you asked this, uh, and you mentioned this in the beginning and you were spot on. You said, as a B2B company, you see, you know, I'm not necessarily Salesforce or I'm not 
you know, some big giant uh, publicly traded B2B company, right? And that's what a lot of marketers see and they believe it's unattainable. And that's the other thing that sort of really uh, uh, intrigued us about this, 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 this medium, this industry was you don't necessarily have to be those companies. You don't have to be of that. You don't have to be like that size. You don't have to have that many employees. You don't have to have that kind of marketing budget. Um, you just have to be, I would say at this point, somewhat progressive in the way you're thinking about marketing, um, proactive in the way you're thinking about marketing, not reactive, where you're like, shit, my CAC has gone up 25% in four months. Now what do I do uh, yeah. for 2024? And it's, you know, basically we're in 2024 already. Yeah, that's a little bit late, right? We want to start helping marketers realize that they need to be thinking about this going forward. And you don't have to be those big brands to actually do it. And it's funny, when I talk to marketers like this, it's like, look, forget me being a founder of one screen. Obviously, I'd love for you to work with us. We're at a bar having a drink. Holy shit, did you know the power of like of, of all of the like of out of home? It's ridiculous. Believe me when I tell you. The juxtaposition of me like selling inbound marketing to doing this, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't believe in it. Yeah. I get passionate about it because holy No, we shit. we love that passion here. That's what that's what the guests are for. But it's time for it's time for our next segment, spill the tea with Lee. This is a segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. All right, so so Greg, I asked a lot of the really like nitty gritty questions about out of home and B two B. We didn't touch on this too much, but you were one of the founding members of the e commerce team at HubSpot, right? Yes, technically. He, he's like technically. You're being humble, but yeah, you were you were a founding member, right? You were you were part of the original group, no? Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. And my co founder Sam was also part of that group. Mm-hmm. So. You worked in e-commerce for quite a long time there. I am curious, has that changed the way you shop online? Love that question. So uh, 2011, there was one guy who was thinking about selling the inbound marketing software to e-commerce companies. He approached uh, John Marcus, and if he's listening to this, uh, John Marcus, a brilliant guy out of MIT. Um, and after our training class in HubSpot, he asked me to join his team, uh, as sort of like the sales guy. And uh, I said, sure, why not? Like a little startup within the startup. This sounds fun. E-commerce is this budding thing that no one really knows about at that point, but he was a smart guy and I was picking up what he was throwing down. And then Sam, so my co-founder, Sam joined as sort of like the marketing guy. We had a customer success guy and, uh, we operated this, just like this little silo. For, for the majority of the time there, um, basically saying, look, like we can apply the inbound methodology to e-commerce brands, e-commerce companies, even though it wasn't necessarily the core of what HubSpot was trying to do. Did it shift the way I consumed products and information? It did. It did for a long time, um, up until I went into commercial real estate. And I kid you not, that's, and that's part of the origin story to what I'm doing now. But when you take a step back and you think about e-commerce has made my life much more flexible, right? It's easy. Um, but why do I still go to the physical store? Why do I still go to the mall? Why do I still go to the lifestyle center? Because like the real world interaction 
is still meaningful to me. And what I started seeing was in commercial real estate anyways, was, okay, e-commerce is exploding. However, you're now seeing a shift in the, or the evolution of retail. You're seeing a lot of the archaic uh, brands, you know, your forever 21s of the world, your Sears of the world, they're all going out of business, right? They're filing for bankruptcy, they're closing their stores. But hold on a second, you're seeing your digitally native brands, your Warby Parkers, your Bonobos of the world, your Untuckets of the world. They're now opening up stores in physical locations. Why is that, right? And so that was really intriguing to me as well. That physical presence is super important because people still like that experience, right? Think about like your, your fondest memories are from the real world, right? Mm-hmm. That's where memories happen. So people will never stop doing those things. And it's Toys R Us is coming back. Toys R Us well, is coming back, but in, yeah. but in a smarter way. So smaller, sto- smaller uh, store footprints, right? Less stores right? Um, it's just a different model. Uh, by the way, it's pretty analogous to at home, right? Is, right. well, we're a digitally native brand. We've never done anything besides digital marketing. And what I'm here saying is that you also need to have a physical presence because we believe that that's also good for, for mankind these days. Especially as it becomes more important for I mean, B2C has been doing it for, for years, but for B2B to become brands, not just companies, but brands that tell stories. And I say what you're saying about you couldn't just be digital. You can just be out of home. It makes a lot of sense now. I always go back to the um, it's the business school classic example of Barnes and Nobles versus Borders books, where e-commerce was becoming a thing. Borders didn't do anything about it. Nobody knows about them now. They closed. Barnes and Nobles did. Uh, but again, they kept the physical aspect too. Best Buy is another great example of, of that. Although I, I have been known to walk into Best Buy and then like, check Amazon to see if, if the price is changed. Fair enough. That certainly is going to happen. But you're absolutely right. Those brands adapted better than others. I always actually look at, you see Best Buy still alive. I look at Radio Shack should never have gone out of business. They never adapted to the other side. They never adapted to the e-commerce world, right? Yeah. So I always go back to that. But if you think about marketing and you think about the you you think about that brand and the storytelling, what better way to do that than the real world, the physical yeah. world, where it's not a digital screen that's tiny and right, kind of depressing. These are larger than life canvases, right? That you come to life. Um, think about like being in the middle of Times Square and looking around. It's a wild feeling, right? And by the way, like this is also in a canvas for folks, for marketers to get back to being creative. Yeah. Um, which I think is missing. And, you know, marketing has become a finance position. And I think that that's going to change over the next mm-hmm. decade or so. Back to so, where it was. Yeah. So, so you were talking about Times Square. And that's a good segue to my, my next question. Because lots of other countries and cities... Most do not look like Times Square. A lot of countries, uh, like France, I think, parts of Brazil, maybe. I think even parts of India, they've banned outdoor ads. Some U.S. cities have done that, too, here, I think. Do you see that trend coming further for other places? Do you see that as a threat, or just do you see that as B2B world and out-of-home world adapting? 
I think more so adapting. What you'll see a lot is uh, two things. One, so net new structures, although I should say that in, in, in certain parts of the country, net new structures being built, uh, it, it's happening quite a bit. You're going to see places like you know, your top tier one DMAs, like a, like a New York, a Boston, a Chicago, a San Francisco. Um, net new structures, new billboards, for example, new inventory uh, may not be permitted. What you are seeing is some of the static inventory transition to digital. Um, but you are seeing new structures being built. Uh, it just yeah. depends on the location. But there's also different formats besides a new structure being built on the side of a roadway, a traditional billboard. If that's not allowed, you have folks building networks in bars, in restaurants, in barbershops, in gyms, uh, in movie theaters, um, in medical facilities, right? Other places where your potential audience goes to. And also places where there's more dwell time. What's um, that big stadium one? There's that new stadium where like the whole thing is like a giant oh, screen or something. Yeah, yeah. You can advertise on the sphere. <laughs> yeah. I kid you not. It's not inexpensive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe you. I remember I like I did some city field out of home ads and like those themselves weren't cheap. So I imagine what the sphere is like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the sphere is great. Uh, you're going to see some first movers there doing some really fun. Microsoft just did something. Uh, you're going to see some really cool brands do some fun stuff and it's going to really resonate. There's a social amplification to it as with, was with all out of home. It doesn't happen. Just live in the physical world and also lives online in the social world. And, um, that adds to it. People love seeing your ad, your brand in the real world. And I got to tell you, Lee, that that'll never get old. Yeah. It will never get old. It's awesome. And I think in B2B, we've seen a real growth in, in gifting, whether it's sending cookies from Grove Cookie Co., shout out Grayson, or just mm -hmm. sending gifts through like Sendoso and stuff like yeah. that. Shout we've out already, Yeah, we've already gotten to that point where we see that tangible aspect is working. Yes, there's that personalization, but I, I think, you know, you like you were saying, that next step back to, to out of home makes, makes a lot of sense. The real world. Yeah. Think about it and think about the next generation coming up is uh, they are typically wanting to get away from the digital screen, the iPads and the phones. And quite frankly, when you think about a brand, you become more trustworthy when you're advertising in the physical world. Right. There's more trust behind it. There's more authenticity behind it. Differentiation. And the digital fatigue is very real, very, very real. Quite frankly, part of our mission is to help with where we think the evolution is going to go, which is back to people wanting to engage with one another, quite frankly. Uh, I don't look, I have young kids and I, I see it. I see it. And it's, it's um, like I said to you before, think about your core memories as a kid or even now. It's at a concert, family trips, right? It's not, oh man, I remember seeing that Facebook ad one time. That was really cool. <laughs> I'll tell you right yeah. now, no, no one wins awards for Facebook ads. You'd be surprised. There's, I'm sure there's awards for that. <laughs> it probably is, but I will tell you there are lots of awards right. for the real world. Yeah. You see Adweek talking about the billboards you see, or the really creative stuff. And yeah, like there's just some stuff that you can't execute like you can when it's tangible. So 
I mean, Greg, I asked you some some tough questions about B2B and out of home. I, I thought this was like a real eye opener for, for B2B. I, I hope our listeners do too. I know everyone should go to onescreen.ai to check check you out, but I always like to give this moment for you to shout out anything else. Where can people follow you? And yeah. Well, uh, you can certainly follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, hopefully my content is helpful, uh, engaging. can always reach out. One thing I will say to B2B marketers, uh, companies, anyone who's listening to this, let's have just even a conversation. Um, part of our process, and we purposely or intentionally built this into it, is just an education analysis. What would a potential campaign look like for your company? Let's run the data. Let's talk through it. Let's educate you on what it might look like, how much it might cost, how we're looking to measure it. We can all, I can, I'm happy to do that with anyone. Um, anyone who's currently doing out of home that has heard me say things that, you know, that they can make me maybe do better in the future, will grade your current campaign. And again, HubSpot, remember the website grader? <laughs> yeah. So you probably know where well, we're going with that, right? Yeah, um, I, I did a version too at my last company of, of a CRM grader, yeah. Love that. Love that. So happy to chat, provide information to anyone. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg, thank you so, so much for being on. Again, everybody go check out onescreen.ai. 2024 planning is happening now, people. It's time to start thinking about this stuff. So so definitely consider some outdoor advertising or at least see if it makes sense for you. And with that, thank you again, Greg. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I will see you all for another episode of Lee2B next time. Enjoying Lee2B? Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Your reviews go a long way in supporting me. Thank you so much.